morning. We will. <laughs> so when, when I was in the Air Force and I was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base, uh, this, this one guy that I worked with, co-worker, civilian guy, his name was Mike, uh, he was telling me about his other job. He, he was moonlighting. He worked at uh, the, uh, the local community college uh, teaching computer classes. He got me into that, by the way. But uh, what, was, what was really interesting about Mike was that the classes he taught were given in the, uh, the local prison in Omaha. And so he would, he would have these, these guys uh, come to class, and they'd lock him in the room with these, with these incarcerated uh, men, and he was he was telling us uh, that it's kind of funny how you know the first the first class period those of you who've been to school I know and can remember it you know the first the first class period you usually uh, introduce yourself say something about yourself well he said I want you to you know tell us your names and tell us what you're in for <laughs> and it, you know he said it lead to some pretty lively conversations and. Uh, but he said, you know, that there, there was this common theme of, you know, this this is a situation where he had a room full of guys who were not really doing what they had set out to do in life. You know, these these were these these were men who were who were disappointed, most of them, in the way things had turned out, and here they are, incarcerated, stuck in prison. You know, as we as we progress in. Uh, the first chapter of Philippians, you know, remember that uh, Paul is himself in prison and he talks about his circumstances there in prison in Rome. You know, undoubtedly, Paul, his circumstances were not what he had probably planned for. Things were probably not going the way he originally thought they, they would go. But, you know, rather than being bitter and frustrated... Uh, he's able to see things from a, an eternal viewpoint, an eternal perspective, you know. And what he says here in the first chapter of Philippians is really quite uh, thought-provoking because he gives us a lesson in that perspective. So read with me as we continue in Philippians 1, and we're going to start with verse 12. Philippians 1, 12. <clears throat> He says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but 
that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I choose, I cannot tell. I'm I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, uh, the words that uh, you, you inspired through the Holy Spirit that, that the Apostle Paul really laid down here what his true feelings were and uh, gave us a, a great example and some good things to to think about, Lord, to, to apply to our lives. And I just pray, Lord, that uh, we would be people who have an eternal perspective, Lord, people who can, can truly and, and sincerely say to live is Christ, to live is Christ, and, and to die is gain. Amen. So here's, here's the question. You know, what, what is it we live for? You know, from, from what do we find our, our fulfillment? You know, what, what do we do when we have plans and the, the rug is pulled out from, from under us? Uh, you know, the thing is, that happens to all of us, but we, we need to have an eternal perspective living for Christ. First of all, you know, we, let's, let's ask, do we find our fulfillment in the circumstances we find ourselves in? Uh, if, if so, those circumstances are going to disappoint us. You know, look at, the, look at those first three verses, verses 12 through 14. You know, Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. Uh, he's, he's chained to a guard. He's chained to one of the members of the, uh, the imperial guard. 24 hours a day, they come in and, and shifts. You know, this is, this is maximum security. And what's Paul's attitude? Uh, you think he's frustrated? Uh, you know, Paul was, Paul was a church planter. Paul was really zealous. He, he was a hard charger, you know, kind of a, kind of a type A kind of individual. And here he is, in prison, in this cell, with this this one guy. Uh, you know, a, a few years ago, before this had happened, uh, Paul had had told the Romans about his ambition in, uh, for planting churches. He says in Romans fifteen nineteen, so from Jerusalem even as far as Elytrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and in this way I desire to preach where Christ has not been named so as not to build on another person's foundation. This is, this is what Paul would, wanted to do. You know, this was his mission from, from the Lord. But now here he is, he's in, he's in chained, chains, 
It's not going anywhere. You know, perhaps he's wondering, well, why doesn't God send an earthquake? You know, he's seen that happen before where an earthquake would come and, and he was, uh, you know, this happened at Philippi. Uh, in, in fact, you know, who knows what he's thinking. But uh, we do know that Paul seized the opportunity he recognized that God had him there for a, a purpose. He sees the opportunity to uh, share the gospel with it, with his captors. You know, so he's he's chained to this imperial guard, and uh, you know, well, with Paul, you know, I guess maybe we should ask who was chained to whom, because you know he says that this whole imperial guard was hearing the gospel, the whole household, every everybody within earshot of Paul was going to hear the gospel. You know, imagine this this guard coming on duty. You know, his his assignment for the day is to be chained to Paul, this this prisoner. Uh, you know, I'm something that I'm sure he's he's looked forward to. You know, and yeah, maybe there's some small talk. What what are you in for? And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Do you have a minute? You know, and he would he would tell Paul, or Paul would tell this guard about about this man Jesus who came, fulfilling the uh, the Jewish scriptures, the prophecy in the Jewish scriptures. Uh, this plan that that God had had laid out from from the beginning, from from eternity, according to the prophets prophecies. Uh, you know, this this man was. Uh, killed he was he was hung on a cross he was buried he was raised on the third day all according to uh, god's plan in the in the scriptures you know and this wasn't some sort of imaginary or you know spiritual resurrection he he actually came back in the flesh and he he met with his his followers afterwards and you know, hundreds of, of people, people saw him. Most most of these people were still alive when, when Paul was there talking with this guard. You can, you know, you can talk to these guys and, and hear firsthand what happened. You know, many others saw him. They, they some people ate with, with, with Jesus, you know, and Paul would give his own personal story about how you know, he, he, res, he relentlessly persecuted the followers of this Jesus, and then he encountered Jesus himself on on the road as as he was going to uh, put some of these followers of of this Jesus in in prison. You know, he encountered the living Jesus, and that that made the difference. So Paul had lots of time to uh, talk about all this, you know, about how his life had just been totally transformed by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> then another guard would come at, at the end of that shift and Paul would tell him about Jesus. We don't, we don't know how many of these folks were, were saved. Undoubtedly, many were, but at least we know that they heard the gospel and Paul says, what has happened to me here while I'm in prison has advanced the gospel. The gospel has pressed forward because God has put me here. So Paul, at this point, wasn't planting churches, but he was planting the seeds of the gospel. 
Was Paul's imprisonment a, a disaster? Paul would say, well, actually, it probably depends on how you look at things. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of the, uh, the story of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis, how his, his brothers sold him into uh, slavery to this caravan that was passing through, and they went down to Egypt, and Joseph ended up down there in, in prison, Long story short, he proved himself useful. God was with him. And later his his father sent his brothers down. There was a, a famine going on where they lived up in Canaan. He sent them down. Joseph revealed to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, I'm your brother. And he said, Essentially, you know what? It's okay. This was God's plan. He he took what you meant for evil and used it for his good. That's the same thing we, we see here with Paul. So God used the circumstances. God's using Paul's imprisonment for for good. God knew that Paul had an agenda. He knew that Paul had plans and he did something different. And Paul knew that he needed to hold on to his agenda lightly. You know, God God many times has something else in mind for us. Uh, Proverbs 16.9 says that the, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so Paul had the uh, spiritual maturity to embrace what God had for him in this prison. You know, rather than going into a, a deep funk, uh, he, was, he was rejoicing that the gospel message was being heard and, and God was using him. He had an eternal perspective. And not only was the gospel going out, Paul says it's emboldening the other believers. You know, the, uh, the other believers hearing about Paul's imprisonment probably the natural thing would be kind of discouraged. Well, here's, here's Paul. Paul's an important person in this movement of God. Paul, God is using this, this church planter to go out across the world and plant these churches, and he's in prison. What are we going to do? You know, is, is the whole movement going to collapse now? Paul says, no, no, don't, don't, you, don't you think like that. God, is, God has me here for a reason. And you guys need to be bold. You need to keep advancing with the gospel. Keep sharing what the Lord has, has done with you. You know, Paul Paul was confident in the Lord. He knew that God was in control. Jesus was going to build his church. The gates of hell were not going to prevail against it. And, uh, you know, it's it's quite a liberating position to be in when we know that God is in control and we can rely on him. We can lean on him. We can trust in him. No matter, no matter what the circumstances. So next let's ask, what do we find our fulfillment in people? Paul starts then talking about these people who, who have wrong motives, people who 
could possibly uh, get him pretty frustrated and, and tied up in the knots, but Paul doesn't succumb to that either. You know, Paul talks about while he's even in prison, there are these people who preach the gospel with bad motives. They preach the gospel and uh, they serve in maybe churches in various capacities out of envy and rivalry. You know, maybe maybe they saw how successful Paul's ministry was. You know, how the Lord was really using Paul, and they said, "I." I want that. I want that kind of recognition. I want that kind of success. Uh, you know, I always, when, when I've gone to pastor's conferences, I always kind of squirm when I meet, I meet a pastor and the first thing he asks me is, oh, how big is your church? You know, as if that's the true measure of, of a successful church size. It's not, you know. What is a successful church? A successful church is a church that is growing in spiritual maturity and bringing people into the kingdom of God and whose people have a great relationship with, with the Lord. We, uh, when we lived in Montana, in a, we lived in a town in Montana, and uh, there, was, there, there was a new church that came into town. It was, it was planted and uh, it did very well. Um, a lot of people came to the Lord through this church's ministry. A lot of people are coming to the Lord to this day through this church's ministry. But what, what kind of grieved me was some of the other uh, pastors in town were, were jealous. They were envious. They complained about how this church had come to town and all the people were going to that church instead of theirs. And I, I remember talking with this one pastor and, and you know, using this, this passage from Philippians saying that, you know, you, you need to look at this differently maybe, that the, the gospel is being proclaimed. People are going to come to the Lord through this and we need to rejoice at that. I actually felt ashamed for these, these pastors who were, who were envious now, Paul is not saying it doesn't matter what they preach, okay, they, because there were people preaching false gospels, and Paul had some harsh words for, for them. What he's talking about is motives. He's not talking about people bringing a different gospel. You know, he, for those, he says, let them be accursed. Paul's talking about motives. You know, apparently the message was good. The motives were were bad, envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. Uh, but Paul has an eternal perspective. He sees the big picture. He trusts in in the Lord. Uh, he he's really quite generous and, and gracious with these people who have the wrong motives. He just says, "Let the Lord be glorified." Because the gospel is going out. You know, God can use the most imperfect of, of people. We need to trust him. So, you know, do we believe that God is in control? Do we uh, believe that if God wants his word to go out, that it's going to go out? It's going to happen. And... Uh, 
Another, another Bible story I was thinking about this week as I was thinking about this. Uh, maybe some of you remember the, the story of this uh, uh, non-Israelite prophet named Balaam. Balaam was hired by uh, the king of Moab, a guy named Balak, to prophesy against Israel. He, he hired Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam tried, and the Lord wouldn't let him. He ended up blessing Israel. This guy goes into this task that he's hired for absolutely with the wrong motives, and and God uses him to bless Israel. Uh, Are there any examples of wrong motives today in in our country and in the world, I, th- I think there are. Maybe, maybe if we turn on the the television and look at some uh, so-called Christian broadcasting, we'll see some people with bad motives, perhaps people who are maybe in it just for what they can get. Um, maybe horrible motives. But what if? What if they do say something that, that is true? What if they talk about the Lord and somebody hears that and the Spirit of God moves in their hearts and they come to Jesus? I think, I think we'd have to say, well, the motives are wrong. I certainly don't approve of those motives, but Jesus is being preached. The gospel is being proclaimed, and and for that I, I rejoice. You know, pe- people will people will disappoint us; they'll dismay us. But God's in control. Um, here's another example. I I know people who believe very strongly that a certain English translation of the Bible is the only translation of the Bible that God can use. That all other ones are somehow evil. Uh, I don't agree with that, but let's just imagine that that's true. I know many people who've come to the Lord hearing God's word in in the uh, New International Version translation. I know people who've come to the Lord hearing God's word from the Living Bible. we can we can say that for any of the translations. God word, God's word is being proclaimed, and in that we can rejoice. You know we need to we need to be charitable. Uh, you know what are, what are some other things in in the church that cause contention? There's there's one topic that is so big that it has its own name. It's called the worship wars. And it's caused division in church after church all over our country. People fighting over the the style of the music that is used and the, the songs that are sung and the instrumentation. How about if we say, you know what? God is being worshipped. People are singing to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is moving in this music that is being sung Let's rejoice in that. Let's rejoice in that. We need to we need to extend a lot of grace 
just like Jesus does with us. So, you know, for Paul, even when these people were trying to make life hard for him, trying to afflict him when he was in prison, trying to make him look bad, trying to discredit him, he kept things into per- in perspective. People were hearing about the Lord and, and people were being saved. And he says, that's awesome. So we need to trust God. We need to keep an eternal perspective. And, you know, what it comes down to is what we live for. What we live for. And here's kind of the, the main point of this sermon. We live for what's important. We live for who is important. To live, Paul says, is Christ. He's talking about a personal relationship with the living Christ through the Holy Spirit. So what do we live for? We, the, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, he's, he's an old king. And he's, he writes about the different things that he has tried to live for. He, he says he's, he sought out uh, wisdom and, and learning and knowledge, but he ends up saying this, in, in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Living for that was a disappointment for him. You know, he tries to make himself happy through things like alcohol. It's futile. He, he tries possessions, houses, horses, uh, land, gardens, multiple wives. He tries seeking pleasure. Uh, he tries seeking political power. All these things he chases after, and he ends up saying, I was chasing after the wind. You know, and... Isn't this what we see happening around us many times? Isn't it something that many of us succumb to? Uh, you know, people people are seeking fulfillment. People are seeking the life in, in so many ways that are going to disappoint. My grandfather worked very hard all his life, built a successful business that was gone the next generation. The writer of Ecclesiastes talks about that too. You know, people buy things they don't need. They, they fill their houses up with things that their children will sell off in a garage sale when, when they're gone. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you know, who, who is somebody in the world who we would consider to be pretty successful? Uh, you know, I, I've heard about Steve Jobs. You know, he, the Apple guy. He's he died. He died of uh, of liver disease or liver cancer, I think. But you know, I, I've I've heard people just talk about what a what a great leader he was. What a great businessman he was. What a legacy he left. You know, he left the legacy of the iPod. Anybody using iPods anymore? Probably not. You know, 100 years from now, 10 years from now, what's, what's an iPod? The tragedy of it is that he consciously and arrogantly rejected Jesus Christ. That's a tragedy. That's futility. Uh, 
you know, Paul, Paul's example is such a good thing to look for. You know, if, if Paul was living for comfort and ease, I, he certainly wasn't getting it in this, this prison. If he was living for comfort and living for ease, he would be living in despair, you know, be, being chained to this guy. Uh, you know, if, if he was living for his ministry as, as a church planter, which is a good thing, if, if that was what he was living for, he was going to be disappointed because his church planters can't plant churches when they're restricted like that. Uh, you know, he, he wouldn't be meeting his goals. He, he would consider himself to be an utter failure. But for him, he says, to live is Christ. You know, that, that includes resting in what and where God had him in or at where he was at at the current time um, you know he god had given him this new ministry this this stewardship of the mini, the prison ministry the gospel's going out people hearing about jesus christ and he rejoices in that to live as christ it's it's to be involved in what christ is doing Christ is doing no matter what uh, that is, no matter what form of ministry it is. If, if Paul was living for popularity and fame, well, guess what? He had these people out there trying to shoot him down. That would be frustrating. You know, these, these other people probably at that time were getting more attention than Paul. They were probably getting paid better than Paul. But Paul says, you know what? Their motives are wrong, but they're preaching the gospel, and I will rejoice in that. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a cause for, for joy for, for Paul to live as Christ. What do we live for? Um, there are lots of stories today, I guess. I, another, another Air Force story. When My last assignment, our commander had this Corvette. Black Corvette, just shiny. It was it was like a deep mirror looking into this this shiny black surface on on this car. And he carried a handkerchief in his pocket. Whenever he'd walk by his car, you know, he'd polish up little areas. Maybe there was a little little speck of mud like that. He'd he'd get that get that off from there. And you know, that was his. To me, it kind of seemed like his life was this this car. Well. <laughs> This wasn't me who did this, but somebody got one of those little decals that looks like a, a bullet hole and put it, put it, put it on the driver door of, of the colonel's car. And um, uh, you, you, you would have thought his life was over, seriously. Um, I don't think he ever found out how did it, who did it. Uh, it wasn't me, though. I promise you that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, many times we, we find ourselves living for things that are good things. You've heard, you've heard how uh, sometimes, quite often, the good can be the enemy of the best. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of good things. There, there are a lot of athletes who work really hard for, for their sport. They train and they, they do some good things and something happens. They, they have an injury that just totally ends their their athletic career. That can be crushing. 
there, there's this singer most of you I'm sure have heard of, Linda Ronstadt, who had a beautiful voice, but she, she got this uh, degenerative disease that's very similar to Parkinson's, and she lost the muscle control you know, around her vocal cords, and, and she can't sing anymore. She declares herself to be a spiritual atheist, and, and that's, that's what makes her life tragic. What are some other good things? Uh, you know, do we, do we live for our spouses? Do we live for our children? Those are good things. But, you know, what happens when the Lord takes them away? We, we grieve for that. I don't want to downplay that, that grief. You know, this, this is hard. But the fact is, even our own lives are fleeting. Uh, our, our health is, is fleeting. When I was at uh, seminary, one of, one of the uh, counseling classes was, was called the uh, Theology of Disability. And one, one of the lectures was a uh, physical therapist who worked with people with severe disabilities. And uh, he, he said, well, there's really basically two kinds of people. There's the disabled and there's the temporarily enabled. And most of us fall into that second category. You know, we're all heading in the same direction. You know, our, our bodies are running down. Uh, we need we need an eternal perspective. You know, our, our lives on earth are, are limited. Our, our days are, are numbered, and uh, the only way we can have that that eternal perspective is is in Christ. You know, we need to we need to take joy in this. To live is Christ, Paul says, and to die is gain. Uh, and Paul says, here I am, I'm, I'm torn between the two. I'm torn between the two. Well, life is hard. The circumstances may, may disappoint us. People may disappoint us. Maybe I should say in both cases, uh, we will be disappointed in our circumstances and in people. But we need to trust the Lord. We need to be obedient to our calling. The gospel will advance. God is in control. He knows what's going on. So we need to know what we're living for, who we're living for, uh, who we trust. And that, that can only be our, our Lord God. Uh, any, anybody else uh, is, is going to be a disappointment. Anything else is going to be a disappointment. You know, what are we going to do when that anything else is, is taken away? Uh, so with Paul, let's, let's declare to live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, you know, he's the only one that, who we can fully depend on. Life's short. And it's only going to count in relationship with him. Uh, we, we have nothing to fear in, in life. We have nothing to fear in, in death. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's, that's the eternal perspective. Let's pray.
Let's pray together. Lord God, um, thank you for these these words. Uh, You are Lord. You are in control. Help us, Lord, strengthen the the trust that that we have in you. Uh, No matter matter the circumstances, no matter what's going on, no matter what other people are doing, Lord, let us us find our our confidence and our strength and, and our rest in you. Your your word says that you make all things work together for good for those who are called according to your purpose. Um, Lord, help us to have that eternal perspective in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to have communion today. We're going to... We're going to remember the Lord. That's that's what we do when we when we do this. And I'd like to I'd like to start out with a, a passage in Isaiah. And Gretchen, you can come up here and get get set up while I, while I speak, if you want. But. Uh, I don't know if you noticed as as we read through the uh, the first chapter of Philippians, but there there was a word that came up six times. It was the word gospel. And next next week we're going to kind of circle back a little bit, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about the gospel of of Christ, the gospel, and um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about. Uh, what what Paul says about the gospel, but one of the things that Paul talks about is that uh, these things that Jesus did, he he died for our sins, and he says according to the scriptures, he he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. You know we we have this this picture of Jesus fulfilling God's plan. You know from the uh, from the beginning from. The book of Genesis, early on when uh, mankind rebelled against God, when our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, turned away, God revealed very quickly what his plan was to redeem the world, to bring rescue and, and to make things whole again. And the, the plan the whole time was, was Jesus Christ. And uh, as we look through the Old Testament, we see a lot of that. Uh, one One of the... Uh, passages I was thinking about this week was uh, in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And so I'd like to read a few verses out of this chapter, several verses. Uh, I'm going to start in the middle of verse 2. This is talking about this this Messiah who God was going to send to bring salvation to the world and restore things. It says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus, when he established this uh, ordinance of the Lord's Supper, he said, uh, when, when you do this, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I want to just have us remember Jesus as that sacrificial lamb, this, this one who was smitten. And-